Welcome in to the OMR Podcast International. I'm your host, Scott Peterson, and I am a digital marketing editor at OMR. My guest today is Chief Product Officer at Figma, Yuki Yamashita. Figma, if you do not know, launched in 2016 and is an online subscription-based collaborative design platform that is focused on streamlining the creative process. It was acquired late last year by Adobe for 20 billion US and the deal which is pending would be one of the largest startup exits in history. Yuki joined me earlier this month ahead of Figma's annual Config conference, which drew over 8,000 people to San Francisco and thousands more online. In this episode of the OMR podcast, Yuki and I went deep on design. We spoke at length about the creative process and community-led growth, as well as Yuki's fascinating background, which saw him go from teaching at Harvard working at Microsoft and YouTube, and then to head of design and new mobility at Uber before joining Figma in 2019. And of course, we discuss what the pending Adobe acquisition may mean for the future of Figma, for the product itself, but also for its millions of users worldwide. All of that and more right now in the OMR podcast. All right, joining me now live from the other side of the internet, it is Chief Product Officer at Figma, Yuki Yamashita. Yuki, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, my pleasure. Um, there's a lot I'm looking forward to digging into about Figma, about you. Um, that um, I think just a, kind of a little broad strokes about what Figma is. Um, Conceived in 2011, 2012, launched in 2016, Figma is a web-based collaborative design platform that teams and individuals can access via subscription. Um, in late 2022, there was a very uh, much publicized deal, still pending, should be noted, uh, uh, where Adobe acquired Figma for about $20 billion in cash and stock. More on that later. Uh, on the Figma LinkedIn page, uh, Figma is described as a design platform that makes the design process faster, more efficient, and fun while keeping everybody on the same page. Where I would like to start is with a bit of clarity on Figma's uh, raison d'etre, its, its thing. Namely, what design is and what it means in the context of Figma and how it differs from maybe a lay understanding of the term. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, you know, what we think of as Figma, we're, you know, all of our customers are trying to build products. You know, they're maybe uh, designing websites, apps, you know, the apps on your phone. I'm sure many of them use Figma uh, to, to be designed. And, uh, you know, it turns out that this is an incredibly collaborative process that involves designers, product managers, engineers, you know, oftentimes even the CEO. And so, you know, I think Figma's observation was that in the past, this was a very siloed, act siloed activity where designers were just figuring out uh, the experience or how to, you know, the look and feel of these, uh, these apps and websites. Um, kind of on their own um, without being able to get everyone's input. Um, and uh, and there's a lot of confusion as uh, files are passed around as attachments uh, and people weren't sure wh whether they were looking at the right versions or not. And so, you know, what Figma came up with is the ability to do it all in the browser so anyone can just open a link, come in and start collaborating. And one of the things we've kind of found is that it's actually opened it up to a lot of people who aren't, who don't call themselves designers, you know, engineers and product managers and others make up two thirds of our weekly active users actually. And so they're in there being able to see the designs and giving feedback and it's just become much more collaborative and much more efficient for that matter as well. So collaborative design is just what it sounds like, just a design 
process that is taking place uh, between several teams located in several locations. Yeah, and you know, we like to kind of talk about two aspects of it. One is what we call multiplayer, you know, multiple people in the file at once. And it really emulates that kind of feeling when you're inside of an office and side by side and working on something together. Um, and then the other thing is kind of having one single source of truth, because that's what makes collaboration easier. Because, you know, what ends up happening, and this has happened with, you know, uh, other products like Google Docs, for example, right, where people might uh, create a strategy doc, uh, but they are able to send it uh, earlier as a work in progress doc. And just because I send this, this strategy doc to you early, it doesn't preclude me from continuing to iterate on it. So it actually makes me comfortable to, you know, share earlier because I know I can keep iterating on it. And design's the same way, where instead of waiting for that final, final design, uh, I can start sharing some rough thoughts. And as you give input or just independently, I can keep iterating on it with some of my other teammates. And so that single source of truth and having kind of just one link, one URL, if you will, uh, is the other part of collaboration, I think. So that everybody knows exactly where to go. There's not like having to constantly like add like some type of uh, uh, suffix to like final, final, final version right, one, right. all that stuff. Right. Okay. And I could... sharing earlier. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. So um, as somebody in my role who's only kind of like tangentially involved in the design process, more on the copy side, um, explain to me how Figma as a platform kind of promotes collaboration and the creative process. Yeah. Um, I think in both explicit as well as subtle ways, um, you know, I think first and foremost, the fact that, you know, you open the file, it's just a URL that you can copy paste into Slack or Teams or whatever platform you use. That itself is kind of the easiest way to share designs, right? And so that's kind of a, a simple way in which we promote collaboration. Uh, but we also do some specific features. As people, multiple people come into a file, we think about the kinds of interactions they're likely to be doing. And so, for example, you and I might be in a file, but in reality, I might be trying to guide you around the file to share with you some aspects of the file. And so you can actually observe me um, and you know click on my avatar and thereby just follow exactly what I'm doing. And the screen kind of mirrors what I'm seeing as an example. And that's a really easy way to kind of collaborate and follow me. Um, and, you know, we do some other fun stuff, too. So, uh, you know, we let you chat from your cursor, for example, so you can kind of uh, show kind of some ephemeral chats like, oh, check out what I'm doing here or what do you think? And it kind of promotes that kind of uh, communication. So those are some of the kind of explicit features uh, that we have. Um, my favorite kind of implicit feature is actually the fact that when you open up a Figma file, you actually have no idea who created what. Of course, you can look in and dig in and kind of understand via version history. But there's this idea that, you know what, like, there is no such notion as your design, my design. It's everyone's design. And so, you know, everyone feels welcome to pitch in. Whereas before, it kind of felt like you had to go into a personal designer's Dropbox folder and look for something and it's their design. So you feel bad about kind of riffing on it or changing it. Um, and so that's kind of another implicit way, I think, in which we try to promote collaboration. So also, uh, I, I guess um, it reminds me a little bit of uh, what uh, legendary music producer Rick Rubin was saying once about like working with like very established and successful individuals who have egos. 
And it's hard to like criticize an idea without criticizing the ego when it's somebody's idea that's attached to a name. And it kind of seems like that's one way of getting getting rid of that, where it just it's kind of a flat hierarchy where you're criticizing or making modifications to a certain thing, but not specifically attached to an individual. I think that's absolutely right. Uh, how many how many teams are typically involved in in a given design project, or maybe what's uh, another way to look at that? What is the cap? Um, on on users in a in a Figma file? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, typically I would say that, you know, there's probably you know, a dozen or so people who might be in a file at a time, maybe in a review or something like that. Um, but, you know, when you think about actual limits that we've, how we have, we actually support hundreds of people being in the same file at the same time. And our foray into uh, FigJam, which has been our online brainstorming tool, uh, has forced us to, you know, become better at this and letting more people into the process because people are running really huge meetings uh, inside of inside of FigJam, and you know the the underlying technology is the same. Uh, but in practice, I would say that it's more that uh, one, you know, it's probably more something under twenty in which people are actually in the file at the same time, and then two, you know, it's more likely that people are kind of coming in and out, you know. I, I might open the link later after you shared it on Slack to check it out. And so people are kind of, kind of weaving in and out of the file. Okay. Well, um, so Figma is a, a subscription-based plan. It's also free, um, but you, the, you can get a monthly subscription on, a subscription on it, especially for enterprises. And I guess at its core, it's a software as a service uh, would be like the most, I don't know, umbrella definition that would be apt. Um, in researching for the podcast, I came across a very interesting blog uh, post from uh, Shoku Omoda, which who is the uh, current VP of product. And I think it came out last week, and he's one of the first product heads at Figma. Um, and the blog post was titled, What Working at Figma Taught Me About Customer Obsession. And in the post, he was talking about the ways in which Figma prioritized developments that behooved end users over everything else. Um, and assuming that that ethos is, is still at the core of Figma, I'm interested in finding out, like, um, how does that impact the decision-making process and product feature development, um, maybe both negatively uh, and positive ways? Yeah. Well, I'll start with the positives. And, and, you know, Show is an incredible example of someone who's just really customer obsessed here at Figma. And the way that kind of manifests is he just asks customers, you know, what they want to see, what the biggest problems are out in the public, right? When you right. And I believe back in the program. day, he would drive to their places and like actually physically talk to them. Yeah. And, um, you know, and Dylan is the same way. And they're very much, uh, you know, they're very much about having a pulse on what people are saying and kind of eliciting that kind of feedback in a very public way. Um, and when you do it in a very public way, people kind of understand that you're really open to this dialogue and want to participate in that conversation. And we've been really lucky because designers are very thoughtful in that, you know, they're not just asking for stuff. They will even sometimes design the features they want us and say, hey, this is exactly what I want to see. And here I've designed it, by the way, and, you know, thought through some of these trade-offs. So some of the discussions can be pretty interesting for that. And so I think, you know, some of the benefits are just the fact that we have this relationship with the community where we know what they want and we can be very public and open about it. Um, and then, you know, secondarily, uh, our designers are, you know, have the ability to express what they want in a way that we understand because we're all working, you know, we're all pro product people at the end of the day. Um, you know, and I think that 
there can be some downsides too, right? Especially as we've started to think more about not just professional designers, but entire product teams, the engineers, the product managers, and all these other personas. You know, those are personas that we've had to kind of learn through other means. And we've had to make sure that we're not just just thinking about designers and we're thinking about some, you know, a balanced set of people. And so, you know, building some of these capabilities, uh, which is not just directly talking to the customers who want to talk to us, um, but also going out and finding those customers who might not be, you know, using Figma that much or who might not take the energy to, you know, to reach out to us or participate in that public conversation. How how much um, or to what extent do you think like um, the growth at Figma has been uh, kind of um, the the product has been the catalyst for growth um, for Figma over the years? I mean, just like that complete focus on like product from a user's perspective. Yeah, well, I would say it's the product, but also the community. And in some ways, we talk about kind of this idea of community led growth and the idea that. We're, you know, we're obviously focused on making a really amazing product and focused on our users. Um, and uh, but really, at the end of the day, it's the community that's excited about Figma, talking about Figma, wanting to kind of try it out or, you know, um, evangelize uh, Figma. And it's that's compelling a lot of designers to, you know, to bring it into their companies. And then it kind of spreads bottom bottom up uh, within those companies. And so I would say that it's it's that combination, um, you know, certainly the focus on product from our end, but also a focus on building out the community. And we take a lot of time spending time, you know, having events, uh, you know, featuring the work of our designer uh, designers in the community. Um, and those are the things that I think are are contributing to some of the growth that we see. Is it fair to say that customer experience is a core success metric at Figma? I would say so. Yeah. I mean, I think it's more, uh, I, it's one of those things that's very difficult to measure, right? Um, you know, a lot of debate around, well, is it MPS? Is it, you know, usage metrics? Is it these surveys that we send out and, you know, constantly trying to look for what, what that, you know, magic metric might be. But at the end of the day, you know, I think just from a, cultural perspective and from a principles perspective i think we're all aligned that you know customers who are excited about what we do is really important and so that's just inherent in the work and it's not something that we're you know we're needing to question or over justify fair enough um so um i, I wanted to um kind of find out about figma today so it was launched in 2016 by dylan field and evan wallace um and while they were still at Brown University. Um, and it just started, I, I think, just really a handful of people uh, working in a room in San Francisco, as so many very, not so many, but some very um, um, legendary, let's say, uh, companies that have become unicorns kind of have these very humble beginnings and then, you know, make it big. Um, but how many, how, many are actually, how many people are, are a part of the core team today at Figma? So our company is over a thousand people at this point. So quite quite a bit uh, since you know those early days for sure. Seven years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of growth. Um, as you know, we've invested more in the product and you know launched a second product. Um, and I would say you know about forty percent of them maybe are building uh, the product in some capacity, uh, whether an engineering product or design. And how many users worldwide? Roughly, um, we have millions of users, um, you know, and uh, 
you know, we have uh, users who are using our free product, uh, users who are in, uh, you know, educational institutions, as well as designers and uh, developers and others in, uh, in companies building software. Um, all right. Well, then you also kind of differentiate, at least on the website, between um, customers and partners. Um, I saw that yesterday, I think it was, uh, that Apple just announced that it was making its official design resources available on Figma. Um, and uh, you, you partner with companies like Slack, uh, Microsoft, Dropbox, and Snap. Um, and then Twitter and Airbnb, if I'm not mistaken, are considered customers. Um, I'm just curious to what extent do those two terms kind of differentiate between a quote-unquote partner like Microsoft and a, and a customer like Apple? Um, maybe you could share, shed some light on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, mostly there, there's a lot of overlap for sure. And I don't think we necessarily internally differentiate that much. I think when we talk about partners, we're specifically talking about kind of ways in which we're also collaborating on things. So in the case of Apple, uh, they published a set of resources that then designers can use to go design apps, for example. Um, and same with Google as well. They have an amazing design system called Material Design. Uh, and by publishing it uh, uh, on the Figma community, it suddenly enables all these designers who use Figma to, to use that and to be able to build and, or build and design and build Android apps really quickly. Um, and same with Microsoft and Slack. So the you know the partnership is really more about how do we work together to give back to the community and help designers and you know anyone who wants to design uh, for those those platforms. And um, so in addition to the the fact that um, designers from all around the world can start making apps that are compatible with with Android or with Apple, what um, what are kind of some of the incentives? What incentivizes some of these companies then to partner partner with you as opposed to somebody else or not at all? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think a lot of these companies really want to uh, build out a rich ecosystem for their platforms. And so anything that makes it easier for people to design or build for their platforms, I think they're incentivized to do. Um, and given that Figma is used by a lot of uh, product designers and product teams in general, um, I think that's kind of where the excitement comes from for them to you know, provide that resource. Um, and so I think it's beneficial for, for both sides from that perspective. All right. So you you studied and you you taught at at Harvard, and then you spent some time at Microsoft, YouTube, and then nearly four years at at Uber, and um, you made it uh, made it. I, I guess like when you left, you were the head of design and new mobility. Um, I'm curious how you ended up at Figma and how what what kind of um, uh, inspired you to switch lanes from mobility and focus more on design, at least design for design's sake. Yeah. Well, you know, I think coming out of college, I didn't even really know that being a designer was a real profession. Um, I, you know, I didn't know much about the tech industry. Uh, I studied computer science, uh, but kind of had assumed through college that, you know, I would study computer science and be a software engineer. Um, and, you know, for that matter, didn't even know what product management was as a function. Um, and, you know, uh, eventually kind of found myself, you know, my, my way to Microsoft, which is my first training ground uh, where I understood kind of what it meant that there are all these different roles outside of engineering to get a product built. Um, but, you know, during that time, I kind of was always like thinking about design just because it seemed like the most fun part of the process in a way, because you're really putting ideas onto paper 
um, and you know, transforming what are just words into something that people can react to. And so even as the product manager at Microsoft, uh, I was heavily you know, trying to get as, as involved with the design process as possible. Um, and so you know, that's always been a consistent kind of undercurrent of my career as, I, as the product manager working really closely with designers. And you know, I, especially as I've worked on a lot of consumer products, you know, consumer products often attract a lot of amazing designers. And so like, having the opportunity to just learn from them. Um, and that's always been a big, big theme for me. Um, so that's kind of uh, that's kind of one theme, and uh, and as a result, kind of really feeling like wishing that design was more open because you know my experience typically, even as working closely with designers, has been designers are creating things, then they export that as a PNG or you know as an image into some deck, and then at that point, I'm trying to edit that design or you know do something with it um, versus being able to be in the file together, right? Which was not possible. And then it was at Uber where uh, I happened to be working on a project where we we're experimenting with a lot of uh, different uh, software. Uh, and one of the pieces of software that the designers decided to bring in in 2017 was Figma. And so I happened to be on this project that was experimenting with Figma. Um, and immediately it clicked for me as a product manager, you know, being able to go inside a file, be there with designers, um, ideate really quickly. Um, and also I got to see how it spread within Figma pretty virally too, um, and get to see, you know, the things you would never imagine, like a lawyer inside your Figma file, because it's that easy to just share a file and have them kind of, you know, give input, for example. Um, so, you know, that was all happening uh, while I was at Uber and, you know, at the tail end of my career at Uber, I decided you know, I really want to just focus on design for a bit and understand the function uh, better. Um, and, but, you know, it was one of these funny things where uh, when this opportunity came up to join Figma, it became obvious to me that actually, you know, some of my colleagues at Uber joked that I would have more impact on the Uber design team at Figma than I would, you know, in my role at Uber. Uh, and so, yeah, it was pretty obvious to me that I should, you know, give, give this a try, uh, given that I was really aligned with uh, the mission. All right. And that was in 2019, correct? And you joined as VP of product. And since mid-22, you've been chief product officer. Um, what, what does that position entail? I mean, you just said like you're going to have more of an impact on Uber from Figma than you would on Uber from Uber. I'm just kind of curious, like um, not even so much the day-to-day, -day, but what is your job like? And how do you, from your role as chief product officer, how are you able to like kind of directly impact Ubers and, and Airbnbs of the world? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it all really starts with listening to customers and um, that that takes place in a variety of different ways, right? Like everyone on my team is doing that in some capacity and people outside of my team is doing are, are doing that as well. And I think, you know, I, I find it to be a really important part of my job to just understand both through talking with customers of different sizes, um, looking at our data, looking at our research to just have a pulse on that because ultimately that's what allows us to decide, well, what are the biggest problems and opportunities to go after? And so I think I see my job as really uh, sharpening our understanding of, of our users and also kind of helping the company understand what our top priorities are in terms of the problems and opportunities to go solve. Um, I think the reality is that there are a lot of amazing people on my team who can then take that and figure out what needs to be built um, and, you know, come up with the features uh, that actually kind of get get that done and achieve those goals. Um, 
But of course, you know, throughout I'm involved in the form of reviews or design creates and things like that uh, to be able to react to some of those, uh, push on the product thinking, um, and hopefully through that process, um, you know, improve improve what we're building along the way. So then how how much has, has Figma changed since you've been there? Um, uh, maybe even between the two roles. Um, and specifically, um, as as Figma grows, um, it's just got to be completely unreasonable uh, to to continue with the ethos of putting like the primary focus on the customer, like as far as like every single decision, like we discussed a little bit earlier. So I'm just kind of curious, like how do you see Figma now as to when you joined? Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of big differences. Um, I think, you know, outside of the number of people, of course, and all, all of what, all of that comes with that. Um, I would say, you know, in the beginning, we were very much trying to convince companies that we were a legitimate solution. And, uh, you know, a lot of the bigger companies that we were talking to at the time were, were, were trying to preserve optionality and say, hey, we'll try Figma, but we want to have some ways to, you know, if you guys don't work out, like be able to not lose those designs. So like help us make sure that that happens. And that was kind of the nature of the conversation where we just have to convince some people or really take advantage of some very excited, excited design, excited teams within a larger company. Mm-hmm. So like a struggle for, for credibility. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think now we're at a very different point where, um, you know, two things. One is, uh, you know, a lot of our customers themselves have become very reliant on Figma and have very sophisticated needs now as a result of that. And, you know, as an example, some of our customers have design systems uh, that are shared by hundreds of different teams. And all of a sudden, there's like a whole new class of problems that emerge around how do you actually help customers deploy design at scale? And so the nature of the problem has changed a lot from just, you know, convincing people to give us a chance to really kind of you know, helping companies be strategic um, and helping kind of um, get the economies of scale that they're hoping to uh, via design. So I think the problem set has changed. Um, And also the types of customers as well, you know, as we've kind of expanded Figma more and more into a lot of interesting industries, um, you know, in the beginning, we've had uh, a lot of our customers were, you know, tech companies, right? And so they, they're willing to try a lot of things um, and they understood the value of, of collaboration because they've been using a lot of collaborative tools already. And now as we kind of uh, come to companies that are maybe still new to in-house product development or want to actually kind of use Figma to propel, you know, this transformation uh, as they take on kind of these more digital products, uh, it's a very different kind of conversation. um, And it's kind of engaging a lot of leaders um, and not just kind of, um, you know, the the end users on the ground. Well, I imagine the tenor of the conversation changed drastically last year when uh, the pending Adobe deal was announced, which uh, if you didn't uh, know, it's one of the largest uh, startup acquisitions ever. Um, It's currently being scrutinized by whichever regulatory watchdog, so it is pending, and we just had to mention that. But I'm just curious, um, what is the overall feeling at Figma regarding future autonomy 
within uh, for Figma within the Adobe ecosystem? Like, how much is reasonable? Would you say to what extent is it reasonable to ma maintain like the core features of Figma? And where do you think you may have to kind of adapt? Yeah, I mean, you know. I just want to be clear that we're still two independent companies. And as a result, we haven't really planned together in that capacity. Um, but that being said, you know, the conversations we've had with Adobe today have very much been about, hey, like we're here to accelerate what you're doing. And what you're doing has been, you know, building up product design, you know, and helping people build products faster. And insofar as that's true, Adobe has a lot of resources that can make us way faster, way more efficient. And, you know, they're excited to do that, right? Um, and they don't want to get in the way of that. So I think that was kind of very much an uh, important part of the conversation. But the other piece is, you know, kind of the uh, even more ambitious piece, I would say, which is, you know, how do we actually use the platform that we've built um, that's, you know, on the web and multiplayer? And how do we turn that towards the use cases that Adobe has? Um, and they have a bunch of different use cases that we're not pursuing or, you know, that are foreign to us uh, that they've been working on for decades. And the idea of bringing that onto our platform or using our platform somehow to, you know, make those use cases on the web multiplayer is really exciting for us. And that's one in which, you know, we're going to work really closely together if we can get that done. So I think that like, you know, I, I think that it would be unfortunate if we're just kind of siloed within Adobe because that would suggest that we're actually not able to pursue that, which I think is, you know, personally as someone who's used uh, a lot of Adobe's tools growing up is what excites me about the, the partnership. Where do you see like some of the similarities or the places where Figma can kind of augment um, some of the products, those core products in the Adobe suite? Um, you know, I think for me, it's a little bit more like at first, you know, what we know really well is product design. And when we look at product design, uh, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of opportunities to just make the end-to-end experience more seamless. Like today, there's you know people are importing and exporting certain assets and bringing them into Figma, um, and you know I think there's an opportunity to make it much easier to do that. Or you know uh, there are certain types of assets that people are constantly using, whether it's high-quality stock photos or fonts is a really big one. Uh, where Adobe just has a plethora of, of resources on that front. And so for me, I kind of think just because the customers that I've been spending the most time is with is product designers, um, you know, I just think about those use cases in which, you know, they can bring a lot to us. Um, and, you know, that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of what I think will be most valuable to our community. Well, I was talking to some of um so at Omar, um, we have a lot of different teams. Um, there's editorial staff, there's um, podcasts, uh, as people, listeners here will obviously know. Um, but we also have like a design team. And I was talking to some of the designers um, just to kind of get their input on Figma and, um, and a little bit about the merger too. And they were um, both really excited about the possibilities. And then there are also some concerns um, as far as like maybe just the dissolution of some of the core features that have made Figma into what it is. Um, and I, I, the way I was, uh, the way I was understanding you before, um, you're quite bullish on the possibilities for a future where Figma is going to be able to exist within the Adobe ecosystem, because otherwise, kind of what would be the point. Um, but how how do you think you can go about kind of allaying these concerns uh, that maybe core Figma, hardcore Figma users will have about uh, Figma merging with Adobe and how you can kind of um, incorporate and integrate these two divergent communities? You know, I think that 
I think that there are certainly perceptions around well, what it means for us to be, join a bigger company, and whether you know whether that changes the way we work, the way we operate, our proximity to the community. And I guess what I would first say is, you know, we really believe that we're here because of the 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 intimate relationship we've had with our community, and we intend to keep that. And in some ways, you know, as a, as Adobe has talked to us, uh, you know, uh, throughout the months, like they're really excited to learn from us in terms of how we've been able to cultivate that community, um, and you know how we build those relationships, and that's the kind of DNA that they're like, excited to bring into the company. Um, and so I think that you know the the way I look at it is we have to just continue to show that we're listening and we're moving as fast as we've been and, you know, continue to build trust that way. And that, you know, ultimately our actions will speak louder than words. Uh, and that's absolutely our our intention um, uh, once we're part of, uh, of the larger Adobe company. And so now kind of shifting gears a little bit more towards the future, because um, obviously the future of this deal is still up in the air, but uh, as is the future of design. Um, and for Figma, um, it may be under the aegis of Adobe, but generally speaking, it figures to be heavily impacted by AI. Um, and I'm just curious, like, what is the role of AI in the collaborative and creative process now? Um, and where does Figma use it now? And where do you see it playing a role moving forward? Yeah, you know, we're still playing around with a lot of different ideas here. Um, and we've, we're early to this in terms of, you know, we have a team of, of AI ML uh, experts now, um, and we're prototyping a bunch of different things. Um, our general belief is that AI and ML can really accelerate design. Um, and when you think about all those, you know, tedious tasks that you might be doing, um, you know, and from getting from an idea, you know, to even a, a, a basic design to iterate on, I think AI has the capacity to really fast forward us through that process. And so we're really excited about that. Um, and, you know, we've seen how others, you know, in the space uh, have iterated, uh, have, have innovated on this, you know, for example, Copilot is a really great example of that we're excited about in terms of like, how do we apply some of that type of philosophy to design? Because it actually, uh, Copilot is uh, GitHub's uh, AI um, uh, functionality where, you know, they will, uh, auto-complete some of the code that you're writing or, you know, some of the boilerplate code that you have to write, um, you know, they'll they'll write it for you so you can actually work on the, the important stuff or, you know, save you the time to go to Stack Overflow and, under, you know, understand what you, how, how to write a particular... Eliminate uh, a lot of the tedious example. tasks then, so to speak. Yeah, and I think, you know, but I think the kind of important lesson from a feature like Copilot is it actually is helping both, uh, you know, novice engineers and senior engineers be faster. Um, and I think that's kind of the way I see, uh, you know, AI uh, influencing design as well, where, you know, the people who are moving fast and getting stuff a lot, uh, getting a lot of stuff done, they'll just become way faster um, because some of the tedious things go away. Um, but so too will it become much more accessible to people who are trying to express their ideas, but maybe can't quite do so today. And being able to give them, you know, uh, uh, the basic ability to express themselves efficiently. 
So to kind of, um, you think it'll level the playing field a little bit, at least for like novices, and um, it'll accelerate senior coders, um, but give people that who may not have the, the coding chops uh, the opportunity to kind of build products that are at least I, I don't know, workable for somebody in a senior position yeah. to like turn I mean, them into something viable. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly it'll open open up design to even more people, which we're really excited about. Mm -hmm. But the way I think about it a little bit more is that um, it kind of moves everyone up the stack. And what I mean by that is, you know, instead of being inside, you know, the pixels, um, you know, and really figuring out all the minutia, all of a sudden, you know designers can be much more strategic in thinking about, okay, the bigger problem that they're trying to solve um, and executing on those solutions just take, you know, way less time now, which frees them up to think a little bit more, you know, high level, for example. Um, so I think that's kind of what I think will happen. What I think has been happening, even in our investments with design systems, where, you know, the more and more people are, are, are investing in design systems, they're actually just assembling a bunch of Lego blocks that someone else has designed um, and thereby freeing them up to not worry about all those minor details that were already figured out and rather just solving the problem at hand. And at the end of the day, kind of my, I, my um, idea of what design is, is just solving problems. Like problem solving is what design is all about. And so the more we can get uh, our designers to focus on the problem, talk to our users, I think the better. All right. Well, Yuki Yamashita, thank you so much for taking the time to discuss to somebody who knows nothing about design, at least not before today. Uh, and um, yeah, I really appreciate you joining me. It's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for the great questions.